Chapter 60, The Line With reference to the whaling scene shortly to be described, as well as for the better understanding of all similar scenes elsewhere presented, I have here to speak of the magical, sometimes horrible, whale line. The line originally used in the fishery was one of the best hemp slightly vapored with tar, not impregnated with it, as in the case of ordinary rope. For while tar, as ordinarily used, makes the hemp more pliable to the rope maker, and also renders the rope itself more convenient to the sailor for common ship use, yet not only would the ordinary quantity too much stiffen the whale line for the close coiling in which it must be subjected, but as most seamen are beginning to learn, tar in general by no means adds to the rope's durability or length, however much it may give in compactness and gloss. Of late years, the manila rope has in the American fishery almost entirely superseded hemp as a material for whale lines, for, though not so durable as hemp, it is stronger and far more soft and elastic. I will add, since there is an aesthetic in all things, is much more handsome and becoming to the boat than hemp. Hemp is a dusky, dark fellow, a sort of Indian, but manila is a golden-haired Caucasian to behold. The whale line is only two-thirds of an inch in thickness. At yet, at first sight, you would not think it so strong as it really is. By experiment, its one in fifty yarns will each suspend a weight of one hundred and twenty pounds, so that the whole rope will bear a strain of nearly equal to three tons. In length, the common sperm whale line measures something over two hundred fathoms. Towards the stern of the boat, it is spirally coiled away in the tub, not like the worm pipe not like the worm pipe of a still, though, but so as to form one round cheese-shaped mass of densely bedded sheaves or layers of concentric spiralizations, without any hollow but the heart, or minute vertical tube formed at the axis of the cheese. As the least tangle or kink in the coiling would, in running out, infallibly would take somebody's arm, leg, or entire body off, the utmost precaution is used in stowing the line in its tub. Some harpooners will consume almost an entire morning in this business, carrying the line high aloft and then reeving it downwards through a block towards the tub, so as in the act of coiling to free it from all possible wrinkles and twists. In the English boats, in the English boats two tubs are used instead of one, the same line being continuously coiled in both tubs. There is some advantage to this, because these twin tubs, being so small they fit more readily into the boat, and do not strain it so much. Whereas the American tub, nearly three feet in diameter and of proportionate depth, makes a rather bulky freight for a craft whose planks are but one half inch in thickness. For the bottom of a whaleboat is like critical ice, which will end up a considerable distributed weight, but not very much of a concentrated one. When the painted canvas cover is clapped on the American line tub, the boat looks as if it were pulling off a prodigious great wedding cake to present to the whales. Both ends of the line are exposed, the lower end terminating in the eye splice or loop coming up from the bottom against the side of the tub, and hang over the edge completely disengaged from everything. This arrangement of the lower end is necessary on two accounts. First, in order to facilitate the fastening first, in order to facilitate the fastening of it to an additional line from a neighboring boat, in case the stricken whale should sound so deep as to threaten to carry off the entire line originally attached to the harpoon. In these instances, the whale, of course, is shifted like a mug of ale, as it were, from one boat to another, though the first boat always hovers its hand to assist its consort. Second, this arrangement is indispensable for common safety's sake. 
for were the lower end of the line in any way attached to the boat, and were the whale then to run the line out to the end almost in a single smoking minute, as he sometimes does, he would not stop there, for the doomed boat would infallibly be dragged down after him into the profundity of the sea, and in that case no town crier would ever find her again. Before lowering the boat for the chase, the upper end of the line is taken aft from the tub, and passing round the loggerhead there is again carried forward the entire length of the boat, resting crosswise upon the loom or handle of every man's oar, so that if it jogs against his wrist in rowing and also passing between the men, as they alternately sit at the opposite gunwales, to the leaded chocks or grooves in the extreme pointed prow of the boat, where a wooden pin or skewer the size of a common quill prevents it from slipping out. From the chocks it hangs in a slight festoon over the bows, and is then pressed inside the boat again, and some ten or twenty fathoms called box line being coiled upon the box in the bow, being coiled upon the box in the bows, it continues its way to the gunwale still a little further aft, and is then attached to the short warp, the rope which is immediately connected with the harpoon. But previous to that connection, the short warp goes through sundry mystifications, too tedious to detail. Thus the whale line folds the whole boat in its complicated coils, twisting and writhing around in its almost every direction. All the oarsmen are involved in its perilous contortions, so that in the timid eye of the landsman they seem an Indian juggler, with the deadliest snakes sportively festooning their limbs. Nor can any sort of mortal woman for the first time seat herself amid these hempen intricacies, and while straining his utmost at the oar, bethink him that at any unknown instant the harpoon may be darted, and all these horrible contortions be put in play like ringed lightings. He cannot be thus circumstanced. Without a shudder that makes the very marrow of his bones quiver in him like a shaken jelly. Yet habit, strange thing, what cannot habit accomplish? Gayer sallies, more merry mirth, better jokes, and brighter repartees you never hear over your mahogany than you will hear over the half-inch white cedar of the whaleboat, when thus hung in hangsman nooses, and, like the six burgees of Callis, before King Edward, the six men composing the crew pull into the jaws of death, with a halter round every neck, as you may say. Perhaps a very little thought will now enable you to account for all those repeated whaling disasters some few of which are casually chronicled, of this man or that man being taken out of the boat by the line and lost. For, when the line is darting out to be seated then in the boat, is like being seated in the midst of a manifold whizzings of, of a steam engine in full play. When every flying beam and shaft and wheel is grazing you, it is worse, for you cannot sit motionless in the heart of these perils, because the boat is rocking like a cradle, and you are pitched one way and the other without the slightest warning, and only by a certain self-adjusting buoyancy and simultaneousness of volition and action can you escape being made a mazeppa of, and run away with where the all-seeing sun himself could not pierce you out. Again, as the profound calm which only apparently precedes the prophecies of the storm is perhaps the most awful than the storm itself, for, indeed, the calm is but the wrapper and the envelope of the storm, and contains it in itself, as the seemingly harmless rifle holds the fatal powder and the ball, and the explosion, so the graceful repose of the line, as it silently serpentines about the oarsmen, before being brought into actual play, this is the thing which carries more of true terror than any other aspect of the dangerous affair. But why say more? All men live enveloped in whale lines, all are born with halters round their necks.
but it is only when caught in the swift, sudden turn of death that mortals realize the silent, subtle, ever-present perils of life. And if you be a philosopher, though seated in a whaleboat, you would not, at heart, feel one whit more of terror than though seated before your evening fire with a poker and a harpoon by your side. Thanks for listening to Moby Dick Pod. If you've liked what you've heard so far, consider subscribing or leaving us a rating on Apple Podcast. And as always, thanks for listening.